All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's so good to have everyone here. I want to welcome everybody in Lawrenceburg. Come on, let's show our Lawrenceburg campus some love. Again, all of our online audience, VIPs, it's so, man, this is awesome. You're joining us, man. We pray that God will do something really great in your life. We said every week that we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, which means whatever you're going through and your struggle, your issue, your heartache, we believe Jesus is the answer. And so we just want to encourage you, man, don't just show up and sit down and listen to a message. Open your heart up to the presence of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. We believe that you'll leave changed if you'll give God an opportunity. Come on, how many people know that's true? Come on, somebody, let's make some noise for the goodness of God. Well, hey, we are starting, or continue, I'm sorry, a series that we started several weeks ago entitled Homework. And the premise of the series is that through this last season, specifically of COVID, that a lot of our homes have been exposed and we've gone through some serious struggles, statistics and different tests out there, different experiments. Sociologists have leaned in and looked at the status of the home, and most of us are found wanting, which means through this season of chaos and confusion and difficulty and challenges, that it's kind of been exposed in every area of our homes, from our family, our kids, our mental health, our finances, etc. And so we thought it would be good to step into a new series to address some of the chaos and some of the hurt and some of the challenges that so many of us are experiencing. Because Jesus really leans into this topic as well, and he addresses how we can have a stable home. When we talk about a home, I mean whether you're a single parent home or you got 10 kids or home or you got three kids or five kids or stepkids or no kids, if you're living alone or you're living whatever. Ultimately, we're talking about our household and our homes, and Jesus spends some time in a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And through the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses every topic that many of us deal with on a regular basis. Man, I love it because Jesus is every day. It's not Sunday. What he teaches us is every day. And he talks about sex and divorce and fear and anxiety and worry and mental health and finances and forgiveness and relationships. He addresses all those, and what we found in week one is ultimately he addresses the foundation of our home when he says this at the end of this parable, or at the end of this teaching, Matthew chapter 7. He says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, everybody say follows it. It's not enough, again, to sit down and listen. Ultimately, at the end of the day, God wants us to hear something, to apply it to our life, and that's how we experience life change. He says, if you do this, you're wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. What we've been saying through this whole series is that a strong foundation establishes a stable future. And through this series so far, we've been talking about different rooms that exist in our home and been comparing them to different environments and areas in our house. For example, we talked uh, in one of the weeks about the family room. We talked about kids and how do we navigate what it means to be a parent. Last week, we talked about the bedroom and marriage and how do we have a strong, stable marriage even though storms come. And today, we're going to lean into one of the places that this uh, current storm of COVID has impacted households the most, and that's in the area of finances. And before I jump in, we've gave, we gave away over 500 of these boxes, includes everything that you need really. We've, we've included games in here for your kids. We've included coffee mugs to sit down with your wife, dating ideas. Uh, there's a book in here on finances. Every area we're talking about is in here. Did anybody not get one of these at once one? Look at you. This is what you get for sitting on the front row. <laughs> Let's go. Let me tell you, for all the people on the, the front lo- row love, I'm, I'm all about it. It's good to see you guys. So, hey, listen, I want to lean into this conversation 
again, on the topic of finances. I think one of the things that probably many of us in this room and online can agree in Lawrenceburg is that probably, and for sure statistics tell us this, that there's not a lot of discipline in our household when it comes to finances, right? A lot of us, we got exposed to money, whether we got allowance or didn't get allowance, but at some point we started getting a little money. And so we started buying little trinkets and we would go to the dollar store. We would buy something like, it'd be, anybody here remember like the first time you went and bought a shirt or a pair of pants, like it was your money. And then you got more money and you started spending more money. And next thing you know, like you had a, had a car payment and you had to pay for rent and insurance, but you had a better job. And like, we really never learned how to do money. In this last season of COVID really exposed really how weak we are financially, that so many of us in this room, so many watching online, we are, we are like, we're tapped out. We are overextended and we were underprepared. We had no savings, but we got seven plastic monsters in our pocket that we're paying incredible high interest rates on just trying to keep our head above water, that we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and trying to make all of our kids happy. And most of us at the end of the day, we found out that, man, financially we're in trouble. I just read an article last night that, that there are school districts that are considering getting rid of high school calculus and putting in its place uh, basic financial stewardship for students going into the regular world. Because it doesn't matter if you know how to find the derivative, but you don't know how to balance your checkbook. And so I don't know how, I'm, I have a math degree, so, but I agree with that because most people just don't know how to manage their money. Now, here's the challenge is, is when someone comes along and wants to talk about your money, everybody gets nervous, i.e. me and you. But what's crazy is I think all of us can agree that there are places and areas in our life that either we're just not doing it well or we're doing it wrong altogether. And when people come along and tell us that, we're not really offended. We may not like it, but we believe what they tell us, right? When a police officer pulls you over and tells you you're driving wrong, like we can't argue with it. Just confession, I got my first moving violation in a decade about two weeks ago. The cop pulled me over. I was doing 48 and a 35. I've been speeding for a long time. I had no excuse. I'm like, I had that coming. I'm going to be honest, that's long overdue. Come on, right? Like sometimes you want to make excuses, and sometimes when you see the red and blue, you're like, they got me. Like you don't argue. You just recognize that my driving, I, learned how, I'm dri I drive like my dad. I drive like my mom. This is just how I drive. But it takes somebody who knows how you should drive to step into your world and challenge your driving. Probably many of us here watching online, we know what it is to work out. Is it just me? Or are we living in the current capital of the workout world? Can we just build one more gym in this area? Right. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who all is going to these gyms, but <laughs> we got some memberships to them. But come on, all of us, we, we go to the gym and we do our thing and we feel like we work out. And again, we're just working out the way we think you should work out, which let's be honest, I've seen the people, you've seen the people, like in every gym, there's the guy who shows up who doesn't work out anything. He just carries around a bottle of water and leans on the machines. There's guys like that in my gym and I'm not hating on them because they look better than I do. I don't know what their secret is. It must be in what they're drinking and I need to get some. Like, they don't lift a single weight, they don't get on any cardio machine, but they look amazing. But you don't find out really how poorly you think you know how to work out until you work out with a real trainer. And a real trainer will make you work out more in 30 minutes than you worked out in 30 days. The way you know it is because you're about to throw up. Let's go, somebody. But you don't get mad at the trainer like, well, like, you're like, okay, I get it. There's a different intensity. There's a different level. There's a different regimen. 
You can spend your whole life on a certain diet. Nobody probably sat you down when you were young and really taught you the proper way to eat. Like you just ate whatever you wanted to eat. And as long as that metabolism is young and fast, you can still eat whatever you want to eat and have abs of steel. Till you hit like the late teens and early 20s and it just starts to disappear. Oh, y'all aren't going to buy. You're just not going to lean with me, are you? Like you get to freshman 15, then you hit your 30s and you still think you can eat whatever you want and drink whatever you want. That's a different message. We're going to come back to that one another day. Like you can't, you, and at some point, a doctor sits down with you when you're like in your 40s or 50s and like, listen, you're not 14 anymore. You, you got to eat different. You can't eat that anymore. You got to eat some of this. Nobody gets offended when a doctor or a dietician challenges your eating habits. Nobody gets upset when a police officer challenges our driving habits. No one gets mad when, a, when someone who knows how to work out, when they come alongside of us and a trainer challenges us in, in the way we're working out. But for some reason, we get offended when someone steps in and wants to talk about money. But that's my job today is to step into your world and to challenge you because God has a lot to say in his his word about something that is premier and priority in all of our lives, and that is the conversation of money. So we're going to go there. He went there. That's right. We're going to go there together. And so I want us to lean into a section of scripture just for a minute. It's in the book of Haggai chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. And again, as we lean into this conversation, one of the things that all of us need to know is that dealing with dollars is part of our discipleship. Again, we are very guilty as American Christians of separating our Sunday from our Monday through Saturday. And what you find out, again, is that Jesus addresses every area of our life. And so learning to manage money is a part of spiritual maturity. They're not separate categories. They all go together. And so in Haggai chapter 1, I want you to listen to this unique way that God addresses some financial problems that his people, the nation of Israel, are experiencing. He says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Now let me just stop. So this isn't my opinion. This is what the Lord Almighty says, which I don't know about you, but if the Lord Almighty says it, I'm going to lean that direction. Are you all with me? Not really. That's okay. Are you all with me today? Let's go. So listen to what God, listen to what God says. He says, give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Everybody read this part with me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, what God is describing is something that all of us here, all of us online that we're familiar with. You know how it's like in life that you make money and you make a little more money and it just feels like you never get ahead. It just feels like you're always behind. Even though you got a raise, it feels like you don't have any more. It feels like you're always trying to, like you're one paycheck behind. You're, you're one, like the bill's always late. Anybody ever, have you ever been in that season of life where it just feels like you can't get your head above water? This is what God is referring to when he talks to his people. He says, listen, he says, you're planning, which we're not farmers, but we understand what he's saying. Like you just plan and like the harvest isn't enough. You work and the paycheck isn't enough and you're trying to pay bills, but you can't get ahead. And he says this, he says, like you're putting your money in a pocket with holes. Like, you know how it is when you break 100 and all of a sudden it just disappears and you don't know what it, where it went? Like, that's what he's talking about. And this is what he says, when you feel that way, when you feel like finances are out of control and you can't keep your head above water, the Lord God Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Yeah. 
See, what he's saying is a lot of us, we feel like the answer is, if I could only make more money, I would be better off. But what God is saying is, the issue is not a wages issue, it's a ways issue. It's not how much money you have, it's what you do with what you have. I, I can prove this to you. Everybody here knows this is true. I would think for sure, at least the majority, that we've gone through life, and as we get jobs and different jobs and better jobs, and we're at a certain job for so long, we get raises, and all of us knows what it's like to make more money, but not have more money, right? It's like you got a raise, but all of a sudden, it just disappeared into your lifestyle. You don't have any more in savings. You don't have any more in, in investments. It's just gone. And this is what God is saying is all of us know this feeling, this experience to live life financially where no matter what's happening, you just feel like you can't get ahead. And God says, I want you to consider your ways, not your wages, your ways. If you're taking notes, we don't have an abundance issue. We have an administration issue. It's not about how much we have. We're not doing the right thing with what we have. And so Jesus leans into this topic and he teaches us this parable, this way for us to understand this conversation. Matthew chapter 25, he says this, Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Now, let me just stop for a second. So Jesus is about to introduce his disciples, you and I, his followers, into this conversation on living life and primarily money. And the first thing he says is, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. He's saying, if you want to know the way God does things, and it's not the way this world does things. The way this world does things is you make as much as you can and spend as much as you can on what you want, and you scramble around, and we try to just keep our head above water. We try to keep the lights on, and we try to give our kids what they want, and like we're just on this constant financial race and never feeling like we're getting ahead. And we, again, we live with credit card debt, and we live like over-leveraged and underfunded, and God says, wait a minute, that's how this world operates, but God says, as people of my kingdom, this is how the kingdom of heaven operates. So it's a different way of thinking. And the way he introduces us to this story is by an illustration of a, of a man going on a long trip. It says, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver to one and two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's talking about this guy that goes on a long trip, and when he go, before he leaves, he entrusts his wealth to his servants, and then he leaves and says, I'm coming back. If you don't know who he's talking about, Jesus is the guy who goes on a long trip. Jesus, the Son of God, was sent by the Father on a rescue mission to planet Earth to show up as the Savior of the world, to die on the, die on the cross for our sins so we could have eternal life, so we could have forgiveness of our sin and stay connected to our Creator forever. And when he died on the cross of Calvary, he was buried in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose again. Let's go, somebody. Because he lives, we can live. And then he said, I'm going back to the Father, but I'm coming back. I'm going back, but I'm coming back. That's the guy in the story. Do you know who the servants are? That's us. And he says, I'm leaving, but before I leave, I'm entrusting what I have to you. And so three principles I want to give you in this story. Number one, our stuff belongs to our Savior. Our stuff isn't really our stuff. Our stuff belongs to our Savior. Here's what the Word says. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everybody say everything. 
Everything, that means your 401k, everything, your savings account, everything, your house, everything, your car, everything, your kids, everything, your kids, everything, your hobbies, everything, your attitude, everything, your actions, everything, like everything you have, your talents, your abilities, your time, it's all God's. Let me, let me prove this to you. How many of us in this room or you're watching online in Lawrenceburg, how many of you have a kid that's still living at home? Wave at me here. So... Like, you have this conversation, right? At some point, kids, and some of you, this is a side note, but you need to hear this. At some point, you got to kick your kids out of your bedroom. If your kid's three still sleeping in your bed, something's wrong, come see me. I'll help you break that. And don't tell me how they still need to be there. It's not good for your marriage. Y'all are hating on me second service. First service, I was getting some love. Y'all are like, he's going to talk about money. Now tell me how to raise my kids. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. But at some point, kids got to get out of your room and they go to their own room, right? And then when you're, when you're mad at them or you're disciplining them, what do we tell them? Go to, go to your room. And if it's quiet in the house and you don't know where your kid is, probably we do in our house like you do. You text your kid, where are you? <laughs> and my son will say, I'm in my room. Now I got a newsflash. He's right here. He don't have a room. I got a room. That's my house. Come on, somebody. I came to preach today. That's, that's, that, I pay for the room. I pay for the mortgage of the room. I pay to heat and cool the room. I pay to furnish the room. It's my room. He don't have a room. That's my room in my house. Let's go, somebody. But he would say, then, Dad, if it's your room, you clean it. Oh, heck no, he didn't just say that. Which it would seem right. If it's my room, then it's my responsibility. What I'm trying to tell you is it's my house and it's my room, but I've allowed him to live in it. And because I've allowed him to steward it and have it, it's up to him to clean it. It's up to him to maintain it. What God said is it's all mine. You don't have a house. I got a house, but I've left you in charge of it. Therefore, it's up to you to manage it. Are you all hearing what I'm telling you? All of our stuff belongs to our Savior. It's all his. But then watch this. He goes on. Matthew 25, 16 through 18, he says, And the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money. Invest. There's a difference between spending and investing. When you spend it, you lose it. When you invest it, you get a return. And he says this, the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Principle two, number two real quick, the Savior determines how much stuff you have. It's up to the Savior to determine. Notice there's a five-bagger, a two-bagger, and a one-bagger. And nobody got to pick how many bags they got. It was up to the Savior to determine some of you get five and some of you get two and some of you get one. Now, I, know I can hear you. I can hear what you're thinking. But, Pastor, Mama told me if I work hard, I can get ahead in life. I'm not telling you that there is no connection to your success and in how industrious you are, how intelligent you are, how hardworking you are. What I'm telling you is at the end of the day, how successful you are in life, or I'm sorry, how much money you have in life has to do with God blessing you, God providing you, and it's up to him to determine how much stuff you have. Now, what's crazy is we currently live in a really twisted, theological, warped environment where there are some churches and some pastors who will stand up and tell you that people who have more are more spiritual. That's not biblical. Your level of money is not tied to your level of maturity. 
What tie, what's tied to your level of maturity is not your level of money, but your level of management. Which you means you can be a five-bagger, a two-bagger, or a one-bagger and still be responsible with the stuff that God gave you. Are you all hearing what I'm telling you? And part of the responsibility is at the end of the day, and you'll see it, is God requires five-baggers, two-baggers, and one-baggers to not just be people who spend on them and try to stay alive, but people who invest in the kingdom of heaven. So depending on maybe where you're at, let me talk to the five-baggers and the one-baggers. The five-baggers, because some of you, the one-baggers, I know you're saying, if I was a five-bagger, I would give more. If I was a five-bagger, I would do more. If I was a, like, a white-collar, not a blue-collar, like, if, if I wasn't struggling, like I would. And I want you to know the statistics tell us that blue-collar, low-collar, the one-baggers are more generous than five-baggers. And Jesus spoke to the five-baggers. Jesus spoke harshest to two categories of people, to religious people and wealthy people. Because the one-baggers tend to think, if I had more, I would be obedient. And the five-baggers tend to think, I don't really need to do it Jesus' way because I'm good. Look how much stuff I have. And at the end of the day, regardless of what financial end of the spectrum you find yourself, God calls all of us equally to equal money management, and part of that money management is generosity in giving. Go ahead, Pastor. That's good. So watch this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 19. After a long time, their master returned from his trip. That's talking about the second coming. And he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. So again, at some point, Jesus says, like, hey, I'm getting ready to get out of here. I'm going back to the Father. So I'm giving all of my stuff to you. All the stuff you have isn't your stuff. It's the Savior's stuff. And he determines how much stuff all of you have and how much stuff I have. And he says when, he's, when he comes back, he's going to hold all of us to an account of what we did with his stuff and how well we managed it or how well we stewarded it, which is unique because all of us have a unique personality and perspective with how we manage other people's stuff. I... Um, I finished my master's degree. I'm starting next week. I'm actually in it, but my first session for my PhD work is, is next week. Let's go, somebody. I will expect Dr. Reverend, by the way. But during the master's program, I had to go up to college uh, four times a year for a week, flew in to South Dakota and drove into North Dakota. Let me just tell you, you have to hear from the Lord to go to college in North Dakota. Like literally the Lord had to send like, right, the invitation to Harry Potter to Hogwarts, like God had to send a piece of mail swooping through so I knew it was him. So it's a little tiny airport you fly into. And so like when I say tiny, I mean it's a little regional, like there's one gate. But every time I would fly in, I would have to rent a car at that, that airport, drive about an hour and a half to school, stay there for a week and then come back. And all of you guys who've rented cars, you know this, right? So before you take the car back, you have to stop and fill it up. And so the gas station's kind of pretty much right across the street from the airport. So this one week, one of the last weeks I had in session, I got up, pulled into the gas station, I filled it up, and I started driving down the main like thoroughfare into the airport. And as I'm driving, the car's like... And I was like, this sounds expensive. How can I give the car back and them not know it was me? <laughs> like, seriously, I thought I did some of the car, so 
immediately I pulled out my gas receipt to double. I thought, did I put diesel in it? Was I supposed to put diesel in it? And I put regular in it. Did I jack this car up? And am I going to have to pay for it? So I looked. I checked the owner's manual. I put the right gas in it. So I thought, it's not anything I did. I got back to the gate. The guy there knows me because it's the same guy working at the same Hertz Riddle because it's a tiny little town, tiny little airport. And so he was busy. So I just slid the key into the slot, waved at him. And sure enough, about 10 minutes later, he comes over and he knows me. He says, like, Mr. Husky, can I see your gas receipt? I took the car for a test drive and he said, it's running funny. I want to make sure you put the right gas in it. So I told him the story I told you. I said, it's right. He verified it. At the end of the day, I was panicked. Do you know why? Because it wasn't my car. Social, uh, sociologists have found out that there's really two groups of people. I'm curious maybe which side you fall on. You don't have to tell me, but you need to figure out for yourself. Like there's one group of people when it's someone else's stuff, like you take very careful care of it. Like, like you go overboard to make sure it's not broken. You clean it up before you return it. And then there's the rest of you. So <laughs> like, it ain't mine. And like you're the people when you rent a condo at the beach, like you like walk through the house with sand on. You don't never like you don't never wipe your feet off. Like you spill a drink and you just pull a rug over it because it ain't your house. Oh, we see you. Right? And so there's two groups of people. Like when you know it's somebody else's, you take extra care. And when you know it's somebody else's and not yours, like you don't care at all. Here's a question for you. If you knew it was God's, and he was coming back. Like if you were staying at God's house and it was your responsibility to take care of it that week and you know Jesus was showing up on Sunday to see like, here, how, how did you do with my house? Like, I don't know about you, but I think I would take extra care to make sure I managed the property well. Like I would be, I'd be manicuring the grass with scissors. Come on, if it was, if like it was Jesus, like you open up the, the dash or you, you open up the dash and like the title says Jesus, like it's his car and you got to drop it off on him Monday morning. Like some of us, how many of you here, like because you knew it was Jesus's car, like you would get that thing washed, buffed and waxed and filled all the way up for, come on, you would take care of it. I want you to know what I'm telling you is true. The house you have is God's. The car you have is God's. Everything is God's. And at the end of the day, when he comes back, he's going to hold us accountable for how we manage the stuff that belongs to our Savior. Principle number three, we will be held accountable of how we steward the Savior's stuff. There's an interesting verse in Revelation chapter 20. Verse 12, and it's pointing to this time at the end, after Jesus comes back, that all of us will stand before God and give an account of our life. And because it's all his, he'll want to know, what did you do with the time I gave you? I know you died when you were 23, but what did you do with the 23 years I gave you? Some of you live to be 89. What did you do with the 89 years I gave you? Some of you have stupid talent, skills, what did you do with the skills and talents and abilities for his glory? Some of you through life may make $783. And he's going to want to know, what did you do with the $783,000? You only made $783. You're living in a third world country. <laughs> but some of you, you're going to have made in your lifetime $3,496,317.47. And he's going to want to know, what did you do? with what I gave you because it's mine. Now, here's what's funny is there is this confusion in church that we tend to think what gets us into heaven, what gets us good with God is how good we are. And we have the mentality that there are the scales in heaven. If we go to church enough and we read our Bible enough and we give enough money, that that will tilt the scales in our favor because there's all of our 
bad deeds on one side. There's all the stuff we did while we were on spring break, all the stuff we did in Vegas that really didn't stay in Vegas. And like, then there's all the good stuff that we try to do. And we, we hope it all balances out that we can stand before God and say, I did more good than bad. But I want you to know, no one is good enough. The Bible says none is righteous. No, not one. That includes me. That includes you. That includes your good grandma. That includes your Sunday school teacher. That includes everybody. None of us can be good enough and none of us can outdo the, outdo the bad with our good. That's why we needed a savior to come. Come on. Is anybody thankful that Jesus showed up and he was good in our place? He died in our place. He gave us his righteousness. And what crushed the scales was the goodness of the son of God who died for the sin of all humanity. And that's what tilts the scales is when you say, I I can never be good enough. Jesus, will you forgive me? And will you save me? That's what makes you a child of God. That's what makes heaven your home. That's what connects you to your creator forever. You say, but wait a minute, pastor, you're talking about judgment. Like, so which is it? Like, do we get into heaven because we've trusted Jesus or are we going to give an account for our life? And the answer is both. I want to read this to you. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. I saw the dead, both great and small, the five baggers and the one baggers, standing before God's throne, and the books were open. Everybody say books. You got to accent that S. Everybody say the books. Oh, I like that. Do it one more time. The books were open, including the book of life. Come on. I need you to hit that K. The book. So there's a book, and then there's books. And the books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So there's this book. Like, I don't know, is it a real book? Is it a hypothetical book? I don't know, but God's word says there's this book in heaven. Jesus referred to it. In in Luke chapter 10, the disciples got sent out. They got sent ahead of Jesus, and they went out, and they started doing all the stuff they saw Jesus do. They went out ministering to people and preaching the gospel and laying hands on sick people. And people started getting saved and healed and delivered. And they're like, oh my goodness, we can do exactly what Jesus did because he told us we could. And they were fired up. They ran back to Jesus and like, Jesus, yo, you're not going to believe this. We can heal sick people just like you can. And we can cast out devils just like you can. And Jesus said this, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name. Rather rejoice. He's just talking about priorities. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's a lot of things in this world to get excited about. The most important thing to get excited about is we have a Savior who loves us, who died for us, who made a way for us. Come on, somebody. So he says it's just about priorities. And so this, this book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. The moment you said yes to Jesus, your name was jotted down in permanent ink in the book. March 19, 1989, if you turn to it, there I am, about halfway down the second column, Stephen Gregory Husky, soon to be Reverend Dr. (laughs) Stephen Husky. Please don't call me that. Not that we were going to anyways. But what gets you in heaven is that you give your life to Christ and your name gets put in the book of life. And everybody's name who is in the book spends eternity with Jesus. And everybody that thought they could earn their own way, make their own way, didn't need Jesus as a way, 
their name is not found in the book, and they will spend eternity separated from Jesus. That's the book. So what's with the books? I think the books are exactly what it means, that there's just one book, depending on where you'll spend eternity, but then there's the books of how you'll spend eternity. Based on how you managed, how you did, how you lived, how you loved, how you treated people, how you're managing the current chaos of the season we're in, whose side you're picking. I'm not picking, I'm not picking Trump or Biden. I'm picking Jesus. I'm not picking white people or black people. I'm picking Jesus. I'm not picking that party or that party. I'm picking the body of Christ party. Come on, somebody. Listen, the, the choice is clear. I will vote, but every day I'm voting Jesus. Body of Christ, get that one right. And then he says, so I want you, I want to see, and I believe one of the books that are going to be open is going to be a financial ledger. It's going to show how did you spend? Did you spend on you or did you invest in God's kingdom? And so what I want to do is, and you can see this Matthew 25 real quick. This is how you know you did it right. When we stand before him, Matthew 25, 23, I want all of us, man, one day, if we'll do it right here, we'll hear it right there. The master said, come on, read this with me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. There's about to be a partay in heaven for those who manage money well. Let's go. So in the last couple of minutes, let me give you the baby step to stewardship. I've done entire series on money. And let me just say this. First of all, the baby step of stewardship is tithing. I believe that with all of my heart that God calls because it's all his. He only requires us to bring back to him the first 10%. Now, money management is about saving well, spending well investing well, paying your taxes. Jesus addressed all of these. It's not just about generosity or tithing. It's about all those things. But I can't cover all those in four minutes and one second. But if we can get the, if we can get the, the most important principle right, the baby step of stewardship is the tithe. The first 10% belongs to him. When you tithe, it's not a financial donation to your church. It's a faith declaration to your God. You're not saying something to me or saying something to anybody else. When you tithe, when you bring the first 10% to God, God, it's yours. You're making a declaration to God. Here's the declaration. Three things real fast. Number one, we tithe out of a gratitude for our past. Is anybody here thankful God's been faithful in your past? And listen, I know some of you are like, Pastor, you don't know my past. Here's what I know about your past is you made it through it. I don't care how bad it was, here you are standing on the other side. Let's go, somebody. Lawrenceburg, you made it to the other side. And so when you tithe, what you're saying is, God, you have been faithful in my past. I'm thankful for my past. Because here's what I know is for all of us, listen to me, everything we have had, everything we've experienced is because God, it's all his and he gave it to us. You're like, Pastor, I didn't see, I didn't see, I didn't see Jesus show up to work on Monday morning. I didn't see Jesus on the assembly line. Listen to me, you woke up in a house that God gave you. You slept in a bed that God gave you. You got in a car and went to work in a car that God gave you. You showed up to a job that God gave you. You got there and you worked in the strength that God gave you, breathing air that God gave you, using wisdom and brains that God gave you, getting a paycheck that God gave you. Let's go, somebody. God, and when we tithe, we're like, God, it's all you. Thank you for what you gave me. That's what tithing is. Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says, for in him, it's in Jesus, 
We live and we move and we exist. Number two, we tithe for a right attitude in the presence. Every time we tithe, it's a recalibration to our mindset that I want Jesus first in my life. Jesus actually addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been talking about when he said, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. All the marriage stuff and the sex stuff and the attitude stuff and the heartbreak stuff and the money stuff, like all that, he's like, if you'll put me first, if you'll seek me first, all that other stuff will start working its way out. The tithe is the principle of the first. Deuteronomy 14, 23 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach us to put God first. When I get my paycheck, before I pay bills, before I go out to eat, before I do anything else, I set aside the tithe. The first and the best belongs to God. The tithe, the 10% is his. And it's a way for me to continually declare that out of my life. Jesus, you are first in my life. And number three, we tithe as a declaration of God's aptitude in our future. Aptitude is God's capability and God's desire, God's readiness to bless you. I'm saying, I don't know what's coming tomorrow. Isn't it crazy? I, again, I, I hate to talk political with such culture. I, regardless how you feel about President Trump, because he's present. Isn't it crazy? Him just being mildly sick, if that's really what he is, has changed the stock market. What's going to happen if he dies? What's going to happen if he gets back in office? What's going to happen if Biden gets up? Like, I don't know. What, what's going to happen tomorrow? Financially, nobody knows the future. But I know who has the future. And so what I'm saying is, God, I'm tithing as a declaration that I'm not banking my financial future or my spiritual stability on anything that's happening in this world because I may be in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm operating in the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to give my first and my best to you as a declaration that when I get there, you've already been there, prepared prepared a way for me, and you're going to take care of me. Let's go, somebody. That's what your tithe says. And so tithing is not about giving. It's about investing. It's about investing in God's kingdom. It's about putting him in first. It's about making a declaration, about managing your money well, that when the storms come, when the storms come, I'm going to tell you a spiritual attitude I have, have had since I learned the principle of tithing and have been doing it now for a long time, is I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but God, I have been faithful and I have been obedient. And you promised to bless those who are faithful and obedient. So Lord, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know you're going to make a way. Come on. Tithing is your way of taking care of God and putting your hope in that he's going to take care of you.